Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Quad Shot, where we help you down and digest the day's most pertinent cancer news. It's May 24th, 2021. Welcome to The Quadcast. Let's dive in. First up, profiles encourage. Genomic classifiers of radiation sensitivity, or the Radiation Sensitivity Index, can be used to derive an optimal radiation dose for non-small cell lung cancer. But what else can we optimize? The RSI analyzes 10 index genes associated with non-small cell lung cancer radiosensitivity. KEEP1 and NFE2L2 are also genes associated with radioresistance although they aren't in the RSI. This retrospective study of 120 patients as published in the Journal of Thoracic Oncology by Shaverdian et al. evaluated patients treated with either chemoradiation alone or chemoradiation followed by dravalumab, and it sought to determine if the addition of dravalumab improved local regional failure. And this is relevant because local regional failure seems to be associated with KEEP1 and NFE2L2 radioresistance mutations. Overall, chemoradiation had twice the rate of local regional failure at 12 months compared to chemoradiation with the addition of Dravalumab, 39% versus just 18%. Tumor profiling revealed 37% of chemoradiation patients and 27% of chemoradiation plus Dravalumab patients had KEEP1 and FE2L2 mutations. Dravalumab appeared to counter the negative effect of KEEP1 or NFE2L2 mutation. While local regional failure was significantly worse for patients who had a mutation who received chemoradiation alone, there was no difference in local regional failure among those who also received Dravalumab. Coupled with previous data, the question now becomes, whether outcomes can be further improved by using genomic classifiers to personalize both maintenance immune checkpoint inhibition and radiation dose escalation in these patients. The bottom line is, maintenance to value map appears to improve local regional control in patients with radioresistant molecular phenotypes of non-small cell lung cancer. Up second, you can keep CAT9 temozolomide. First, interim results of the CAT9 trial demonstrated a big benefit with the addition of adjuvant temozolomide following radiation for non-cotyledid anaplastic astrocytomas. This week finally brings us the second interim analysis, and along with it, some answers on the utility of temozolomide concurrent to radiation. As a reminder, because this is a trial you want to remember. This huge international effort randomized 751 patients with non-cotyledid anaplastic astrocytomas in a 2 by 2 design to radiation plus or minus concurrent and plus or minus 12 months of adjuvant temozolomide. Because it was designed in 2007, MGMT and IDH status were not mandated. Only 31% had a gross total resection, 47% a subtotal, and 20% biopsy only. At a medium follow-up of over 4.5 years, 
there were finally enough survival events to decree that adding concurrent temozolomide does not improve overall survival enough to meet statistical significance. 5.5 years with concurrent versus 5 years without. Receipt of adjuvant temozolomide, on the other hand, continues to result in a significant advantage by any standard. 6 years 10 months with adjuvant versus 3 years 11 months without it, which is huge. Another important conclusion was that IDH mutation status was strongly prognostic and predictive of treatment benefit. Roughly 60% had an IDH1 or IDH2 mutation, and their median overall survival was 98 months compared to just under 20 months with IDH wild-type tumors. The benefit of adjuvant, but not concurrent, Timidar was only seen in IDH-mutated patients with an increase in five-year overall survival from 65 to 82% and an increase in median overall survival from 68 to 114 months. In contrast, those with IDH wild-type had no benefit from either concurrent or adjuvant Timidar. The bottom line is the benefit from Timidar in anaplastic astrocytoma is derived from the adjuvant phase of the treatment and is observed only in patients with IDH1 or IDH2 mutant tumors. Thanks to Vandenbent, Lancet Oncology, 2021. Up next, open BID. Could moderate hypofractionation be an alternative to twice daily radiation when treating limited stage small cell lung cancer. 45 gray in 30 BID fractions is considered the standard radiation regimen for limited stage small cell lung cancer. In the CONVERT trial, 66 gray in 33 daily fractions was not superior to 45 gray in 30 BID fractions. A recent phase two trial found that there may be room for improvement though with improved outcomes for 60 gray in 40 BID fractions. On the other hand, for many patients and centers, a single daily fraction is the most practical approach to delivering radiation. Could hypofractionated daily treatment shorten the overall treatment time and improve outcomes compared to BID treatment? This randomized phase two study compared progression-free survival outcomes for 45 gray in 30 BID fractions and 65 gray in 26 daily fractions in nearly 200 patients for limited-stage small cell lung cancer. The PTV was a 5mm expansion from GTV accounting for respiratory motion. Organ at risk constraints were prioritized over target coverage, but those constraints were fairly standard. Everyone received four to six cycles of cisplatin and etoposide, and those with good response then received PCI, 25 gray in 10 fractions. Medium progression-free survival was significantly longer in the hypofractionated arm, 13 versus 17 months, and the two-year progression-free survival rate went from 28 to 42%. There were no differences in toxicity between groups with 15 to 17% having grade three plus esophagitis and two to 3% having grade three plus pneumonitis. The bottom line is, 
In this randomized phase two trial, moderately hypofractionated daily radiation improved progression-free survival over standard twice daily radiation for patients with limited stage small cell lung cancer. Thanks to Q. Red Journal, 2021. Up next, triple threat. How do you get everyone to agree on the best treatment for early stage non-small cell lung cancer? Well, one way is just use immunotherapy, SPRT, and surgery all together. Phase three testing has already demonstrated an improvement in pathologic complete response rate with the addition of immune checkpoint inhibition to chemotherapy prior to resection of non-small cell lung cancer. This prospective randomized phase two trial asks if the addition of upfront SBRT can further improve PATH-CR. Patients with resectable stage 1 to 3A non-small cell lung cancer all received two three-week cycles of drivalumab pre-op with or without the addition of SBRT, which was relatively low dose at 8 grade times 3 over three consecutive days immediately prior to the first trivalumab infusion. After neoadjuvant therapy, 87% in each arm went to surgery. The primary endpoint was rate of major pathologic response, defined as no more than 10% viable tumor cells remaining, which is a validated surrogate of overall survival in this setting. Even with small numbers, there was a clear improvement with the addition of SBRT. After Drivalumab alone, 3F27 achieved major responses, compared to 16 out of 26 with SBRT plus Drivalumab, including eight complete responses. The bottom line is, larger studies with longer follow-up may prove the best outcomes are born of combining, rather than competing, local therapies for early-stage non-small cell lung cancer. Thanks to Al Torkey, Lancet Oncology, 2021. Finally, Deluxe Apartment in the Sky. It doesn't get much better for Big Pharma than a win in early-stage breast cancer. Merck recently announced that the addition of pembrolizumab to neoadjuvant chemotherapy for early-stage triple-negative breast cancer improved not only pathologic complete response rate, but also event-free survival in its Phase 3 Keynote 522 trial. Thanks to Merck, 2021. This concludes today's episode of The Quad Shot. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating and subscribing to our podcast. Also, check out our website at www.quadshotnews.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll catch you next time.